Welcome in, everybody. Welcome back. This is Polar FC. For the first time, we're going live. Thank you to our awesome producer, Chris, who set this all up for us. We're back in business. Got a full lineup for you guys, of course. I'm here with Kaor. I got Vandy. I got Chris. We're going to have a good time. Chris, you want to you wanna give us a little, little social boost to start here? That's right. You can give us a follow on Twitter if you don't already, at PolarFCPod. Um, we'll be tweeting out each episode. Um, now that we're not on Zoom anymore, I'll be able to finally tweet out the video of the week. Uh, and, of course, if you can't listen to us live, go ahead and do it on uh, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Uh, just you know, download PolarFC, and that's where you can find us. So, All right. Awesome. Yep. How's everybody doing this week? We have a good week. Everybody enjoy the the international break. Doing well. You know, it was, uh, I would say, an unorthodox week of uh, soccer. Uh, nonetheless, you know, they have weekend international matches for the World Cup qualifiers, and then they'll, you know, throw it into uh, weekday matches as well, which is kind of weird for us um, expecting, you know, more of the action going on on the weekend. But, hey. We'll take whatever we can get right now. Yeah, weekday matches giving me uh, Champions League vibes. Vandy, how you doing? Hey, man, I'm just enjoying the, the international break. I saw Turkey going on this rampage right now, just killing teams, and I'm you know excited for them. I feel like if you're on the other side of that, because they had to play um, Norway, Holland had this these massive expectations, zero goals in five games. And maybe we'll talk about that a little later. But yeah, I'm enjoying the break. A lot of shockers, Germany going down. And yeah, it's just been a cool international break. Chris, how about yourself? Yeah, I just love uh, seeing, you know, the United States fail to qualify for the Olympics <laughs> and Greece blowing a 1 0 lead against Georgia in a two day time span. That's, what, that's what I really like. It's not Tough a football country. <laughs> But we beat Northern so, Ireland in a friendly. So, you know, take our dubs <laughs> where we can get them. There you go. Well, Chris, you let us in perfectly to our first story here. We're going to start it right off talking about the U.S. team. Uh, as Chris said, men's team fails to qualify for the Olympics um, by losing to Honduras 2-1, uh, to one, I believe. And there was a, a little bit of an embarrassing goal in in that game where they uh the keeper kind of uh, gave it up per se but uh, i'm sure the team very disappointed to make the olympics the u.s you know still on the cusp of trying to be recognized as a country that's at least decent at soccer um so i'm sure this is not going to help our reputation guys your thoughts Well, I mean, for me, I think it it sums up what I saw. Um, coach Carrillo, he's in a, he's a he was the former Mexico assistant uh, coach, and he said that they missed the Olympics due to quote arrogance. I think that's right on point. I don't know what it is, man. I just I don't have any more excuses why they can't keep they can't keep um, can't keep doing this. Can't keep missing out on on these on the on performing on a big stage, man. It's just. You, you got Klinsman out of there, so it's not his fault anymore. You can't blame him. I mean, uh, yeah, we're still young, but some older guys are out there, and they still keep losing these games, man. I just don't know. It, it seems like it's a mentality thing at this point for me. I don't know how to explain it. Here is my take on it. There is a world of difference between 2016 not making the Olympics and for its worth 2017 not making the World Cup. And what we had here today, um, well, not today, but you get the idea. Um, the big difference is that here it wasn't a case of we don't have uh, the young players to make the Olympics or the World Cup. It's that we have the young players to make the Olympics, but they've actually advanced beyond the point of going to Olympic tournaments to the point where like, they're so important to their clubs. And I, I'm sure a lot of casual fans probably don't know this, but um, basically it's not recognized as a FIFA 
tournament in the way that a World Cup qualifier or a continental tournament is. So basically, if the club releases you for it, it means that you're basically on your own in the sense of, um, you know, like you have to basically get the club to agree. Like they're, they, they're under no obligation to release their players. And so, you know, you saw almost like a, an A team of under 23 talent because it's so young now in the senior national team with guys like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKenney, Serginio Dest. Uh, I can go on and on. And those guys are very, very talented. If they were playing on this team, no doubt in my mind, the United States would be at the Olympics. And, they, and some of them would have played in the actual Olympics if they made it, which is kind of the tragic thing about it. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a mentality problem. It's like, if you look at the roster, like it's not even like an MLS versus Europe thing. Cause there are good young players in MLS, like guys like Caden Clark with the Red Bulls. I know he's only 18, but he's going to be a stud. Um, you know, George Bellow and miles um, Robinson are two guys, two good defenders in Atlanta that aren't um, that aren't able to, uh, they weren't able to go because Atlanta went not because they were making their own run in the champions league. Uh, so it's kind of a tricky situation. So um, it kind of stinks, obviously, you know, the depth isn't where it needs to be, but it's a little more complicated than, Oh, the United States just didn't make the Olympics because they're not good. So, so what you're saying here, Chris, is that we're kind of uh, in the middle, in the worst place, right? We're, we've got good young players, um, but they can't play for the Olympics. And then when you're thinking about, you know, our, just our general team of, of, of any ages, well, we don't necessarily have the quality or the age to, to quite hang there yet. So we're kind of stuck in this middle period where we have some class, but no real place where, you know, we can use that as leverage. Would you say that? It, it's kind of tough, though, because it's just a case of, you know, and, and also it didn't help that you've got uh, Europe in the middle of their season with their post, like, you know, Champions League or Europa League or just, you know, domestic league. Um, you know, and, you know, clubs obviously don't want a player to go away for like three weeks or actually be longer now because you have the quarantine uh, stuff with COVID. Um, it's not that simple to say like, oh, um, hey, you want to loan us our players? And obviously there's other factors, risk of injury. Uh, you know, the player doesn't want to like, you know, leave for three weeks and the guy behind him on the depth chart balls out and then he's not a starter anymore. Stuff like that. Um, so it's tough. And, you know, could the U.S. Soccer Federation have made a better effort? Maybe, but you know, I, I, I don't, it's tough. It's tough is what I'm trying to say. I think, I, I think some people are blowing it a little bit out of proportion. I think the world cup has to be the top focus. If you're the United States men's national team, and I'm very confident the United States will be in the world cup. Um, so in that respect, I'm not worried, but yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. And, you know, players playing a lot of games, you made me cringe a little bit when you said about – you talk about in, injuries there. Uh, KO, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's almost become a formality for the United States, unfortunately. Um, you know, it's been a couple of uh, years where we kind of always trash back and, uh, yeah, get, we're, we're hopeful that we'll make it, but – when it comes to the big stage, like Vandy said, it's trash. And uh, um, again, it comes down to multiple variables, like Sacco said. And it's, you know, easier said than done. But listen, when when it comes to it, when you're this populated of a country and you can't find a team, you know, like, come on, it's it's in a world stage, anyways. Uh, regardless if it's the World Cup or the Olympics, it's you know, you're competing on a world scale. Uh, you're competing against other countries who, again, have a lower population and can go out there and, you know, perform at just the high, just the same level or even higher. So for this to be, you know, a non-excusable um, instance for the last three or four Olympics, like that's not not going to cut it. And uh, if we can't make it to the Olympics, who knows if we're going to make it to every World Cup if we're not invited as the hosts. Right. Uh, so I don't know where it's going to go from here, but we definitely have to kick it up. I just I don't know if I see as much of a correlation between that as you do, just because, you know, on the one hand, look at and I know Europe's a little different, but look at a country like France. France almost never made uh, the uh, the Olympic tournament and they won the World Cup. Um, you know, on the contrast, Mexico won the gold medal in 2012 and they haven't really done anything in the World Cup since during the same round of 16 exit 
uh, Groundhog Day kind of scenario that they've been in for the last 20 years uh, and that the U.S. was in and then, you know, um, Not- kind of fell off it. No, I definitely get that, Kristen. That's a good thing that you bring up. Like, France doesn't necessarily do well on the Olympic stage, but look at them winning the World Cup. I just don't like the image that represents U.S. soccer right now. That's it's not even It's not even about winning it. For me, it's just, why you can't just make it there? Like, why do you struggle to make it there? Fair. You don't even have to you don't even have to exit the group stage if you qualify for the Olympics. Just go to the Olympics, play three games. If you get kicked out, so what? But you should at least be able to get there. I know you didn't have Pulisic. I'm a Chelsea fan, so I know he would have destroyed on the the U23s. I know he would have did well. But that's not the point. It's just we should have enough talent that if we're missing a Dest, if we're missing a McKinney, if we're missing a Pulisic, we can still make it against Honduras. Why are we losing to Honduras? Like if you're a US soccer fan, you should be upset even if we're not necessarily at full trend, uh, full strength of the 23-year-olds that that we would have to put out there. It's like um, these other countries, like France, for example, that even though they don't do well in the Olympics, they have a plethora of young talent. Like, and it, it just shows. Like, you could you could just rattle off the amount of young players that they have. But in our case, I feel like we have a, such a limited pool of talented players, and when those players aren't there, we just struggle, and we shouldn't struggle when we're playing against nations that are. I don't even know what percentage the size of America, you know? Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, for all the talk of, you know, I, I mean, obviously the depth isn't, you know, that of a Germany or a France or a um, or a country like that. But I do think that there's a lot of depth both in Europe and in the United States, just a case of um, because of the way it's set up, a lot of those players weren't on the roster. And some of that was poor roster selection. Like there are guys like Caden Clark at the Red Bulls who, you know, he was – 16 actually last year um and you know you've got some pro minutes he's going to go over to leipzig after next year um so if you want to see a, one of the next young american talents Caden clark is your guy um and i'm always looking for converts to the red bull hype train so um be on the lookout for that uh, but 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 seriously guys like that you know and i think it's also turned into a MLS versus Europe thing, like oh, um, we need only players that go that are playing overseas in Europe. Like if you play in MLS, you're a scrub. I'm not saying you guys are saying that, but there are people on uh, in the U.S. soccer fan base that are saying that. And I think it's so short sighted because not only are there some quality players in MLS, but like even the guys that went over to Europe, like Weston McKenney, FC Dallas Academy, Chris Richards, FC Dallas Academy. Come to think of it, most of the Bundesliga guys came from the FC Dallas Academy. Um, Polistic is really one of the few exceptions. Uh, Giovanni Reyna was in the NYCFC Academy. Timothy Weo was in the Red Bulls Academy. Even if these some of these guys never play senior team ball in MLS, but MLS still plays a role in their development. And I think, you know, a lot of this trashing MLS, it just, it doesn't, I don't think it helps anybody. And I think it's counterproductive. We'll get there, Chris. We're getting better. We're working towards it. We have a little, little bit of a slump here, but. Hopefully, we'll be able to turn it around next international competition. So, we started here, U.S. out of the Olympics. We're going to move on to another uh, player now who's out of a team. Uh, Sergio Aguero out of Manchester City. Um, Reports coming out now that the club told him that they would sign what is, and it's quoted here, a pure number nine this summer. Um, and as a result, Aguero would have to, you know, either stay at the club and play less games, take on a substitutes role, uh, or choose to leave. And he is uh, taking that decision uh, to leave. He's going to be on another club now. And I feel like, you know, with the phrase pure number nine, I think we have to have our obligatory Holland mention of this episode right here because I'm I'm trying to think of who they mean by pure number nine that's gonna be on the market and and I think I think that's what they're hinting at. But what are you guys thoughts? Well as a city fan I'm just gonna say like Sergio Aguero there are no words to describe what that man will mean to that team like forever. Like not just for the goal that he scored against QPR uh, in that game to win the first title, but he was such a key role. Like he he came on in 2011, I think it was when he came from uh, came from uh, La Liga, and he just sort of 
became the face of Man City right as they were taking their ascend from, oh, uh, this rich uh, owner bought us in 2008 to we're a legitimate top English club. And that was really like the shift that you saw. And he was the face of it. He was, um, in many, many years, their highest goal scorer. Um, he, he was so important to those teams. And, you know, I, I mean, as a City fan myself, I'll be uh, remembering him uh, fondly for a long time. Uh, if he wants to come to a certain uh, MLS club in Harrison, New Jersey, he's more than welcome to. But, um, yeah, his legacy at Manchester City is unlike anything else. Chris, what was what was his involvement like? And I know just because you follow Man City, what was his involvement like in the team this year? Would, would you say he's a consistent starter or, you know, an occasional starter? How would you how would you describe kind of the minutes he's getting? Uh, for Aguero? I mean, he's, he's still like, I, I haven't seen like, you know, I missed a few of their games lately, so I haven't been like um, too like in on it. But I mean, he still has a, a decent role in the club. Like his career is not over by any means. Um, okay. Like he could contribute in Europe. I, I think, I, I think he could still start on a good team. I mean, I, I think some Serie A teams will be looking at him, pick him up for free. Um, mm. And yeah, you know, the fact that he's not going to command a transfer fee is huge. I also wouldn't be surprised. And I'm not just saying this as a Homer, but I wouldn't be surprised if he came time last. I think he's a, he's a guy who um, kind of fits um, the play style of the league. Um, I think there are teams that need a pure goal scorer, and I think he's got a couple good years left in his tank. I don't think he's washed up by any means. So, um, you know, we've seen guys like Terry Henry be at a similar point in their career, come over to MLS and play really well uh, at a high level. So I think that could be a good landing spot for him too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess I guess I'm I'm still trying to understand the the mindset from Man City here. Of course, having an amazing year, uh, you know, Miles seemingly miles ahead in uh, the Prem, doing well uh, in the Champions League. To come out and make you know kind of this statement like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna ball out. We're gonna try to bring a high profile transfer in." Uh, I guess I'm just a little confused. Like things are working pretty well uh, with what you got there so far. So, I mean, I guess you know the ceiling can always get higher, but I, I have to think maybe. Uh, this, this, maybe this might be a little bit, a little bit too much. I mean, they're, they're doing really well right now. And, you know, changes, changes, changes a, uh, something that, that could make, uh, make a big difference. Yeah. So, um, I, I think it always helps to get younger. And I think you saw that with the back line. Like I felt like it was forever that we were starting guys like, um, Alexander Kolarov. Um, if you remember back in the day when we had like an aging back line and, you know, guys like, David Silva, who, no, they were good, but you could tell they were starting to get on their last legs a bit. Um, and I think when we got that infusion of youth with guys like Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, um, that's when you saw the city sort of bounce back and turn into the team that they are now. So I think getting younger will actually help them. And City's a club with unlimited resources, essentially. So um, they can basically, you know, they, they can have their pick of whatever young up-and-comer or if they try to poach someone from another big club. So as a city fan, I'm not really worried. I think they can kind of fill in the gaps. So for me, Andy, any thoughts? Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, for me, it's just I don't know what it is. I guess we're in the age of of trying to get something new and who's going to have the biggest transfer and who can sign the the best young guy. But I feel like a player that's being forgotten in this whole thing is Gabriel Jesus. I mean. He's playing well. He he has three goals this month, scored last game, uh, had a two-goal game at the beginning of the month, and then uh, scored against Gladbach not too long ago um, in UCL. So it's I feel like they don't need to go after Holland. I would I would be on that side of the argument. Like develop Jesus, he's only 23, he's still relatively young. Um, and your team is playing well right now. Why mess up? Why risk messing up that chemistry or Holland not living up to the hype as we've seen a lot of Bundesliga's guys go to the Premier League and not offer the same amount of production? So why risk what you have right now? You're rolling. Just play with what you have. And then even uh, with the Aguero situation, I know he was injured for a bit, but when he came back, they were kind of easing him in. They didn't just rush him back into the starting 11 because they know. One, he's old, and two, you have young guys that are performing at a high level. So 
if I'm them, I'm I'm not even gonna be in the holiday race. If you say you want a nine, then use the nine that you have. Jesus is just fine. So uh, what you're saying is, hundred eighty million dollar or hundred eighty million pound transfer fee. It's a little, little bit too pricey for for what yeah, we're Just, just a little. I mean, if you think about it, I don't think anything's too pricey for that Champions League trophy Man City's been hunting for the last I don't even know how many years at this point. Uh, listen, we said this a couple of weeks ago. Pep Guardiola was brought to do one thing to Man City, and that was not to win the Premier League. That was to win the Champions League trophy. Um, and if he needs Holland to do that. He might need to get Holland. Uh, and let's wait. See. So you're saying this Man City team right now? Let's okay. Let's just say for hypothesis sake that Bayern is the favorite. Is Man City not two to win to win the Champions League this year? Why can't I'm they not, win it? I'm not arguing with that. If they don't win, they they'll need to make changes, won't they? They've been at it how many how many years in a row now? Well, I mean, they've been a good good team for like coming up on year nine or ten, um, but. I'm speaking more from the Pep Guardiola standpoint. We had won leagues with uh, Roberto Mancini and Manuel Pellegrini. Pep Guardiola was hired to bring a Champions League to Manchester City. Um, and it's not entirely his fault, um, but we're now in year four or five, and it's still not there. So if they don't win it this year, like the pressure for him is going to be really, really ramped up, as it should be. Um, so that's uh, something that... Um, you know, it's going to have to be taken into consideration. I think he's going to be very aggressive on the transfer market. And not to forget, they're probably going to get a large sum of money for winning the Premier League this year. Uh, and that, to be honest, that 220 mil for Holland, who you'll probably get another, I would say, same number of years as Aguero got you, right? Around, I would say, almost double digits, if not double digits. Uh, and that's a lock for the future, uh, in my opinion. And you pair that up with Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne, you have a pretty, pretty solid core of a team right there to maybe not get you one Champions League, but multiple. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I'd say, and I know you brought up the point, right? Pep Guardiola, there's immense pressure on him to win the Champions League. That's what people want. And I'm not going to argue against that that exists, but I'm going to try to come at that and say, I think it's kind of, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I think it's kind of silly to kind of put that much pressure on your coach. Like, all right, yeah, it's been a couple years, but guess what? You're not the only good team in Europe. There are a handful of other good teams in Europe. And, you know, to, to do what they're doing in the Prem, to do what they're doing so far in the Champions League, I feel like, and again, this is just me speaking, like I feel like the season wouldn't just be a complete wash. If they win the Prem by a ton, and, you know, they get – they play well in the Champions League, even if they don't end up winning it. I would still say that's a successful season, and that would still make me rethink, you know, how I'm going to act in, in free agency. But, of course, you know, when you're a team on the top, you want to stay on top. So, it's – I mean, it is helpful to have that mentality to a certain extent. But I, I still feel like, you know, Man City, even if they don't win it all, even if they don't win the Champions League, I don't. I wouldn't mark that season of failure as, uh, for from Pep Guardiola's standpoint, at least. All right, let's move on here. Up next, we've got some UEFA news. Uh, UEFA approves five substitutes, uh, for Euro 2020. So recently, they've been playing with uh, five substitutes due to COVID and everybody coming back from that. Um, of course, you know, training has been affected um, and or at least was affected in, in, I guess, what's that last, last summer when they were playing matches and they've seemingly kept these rules going forward uh, in this current season uh, to allow five substitutes. I know the Bundesliga does it as well. I can't speak for, some of the other uh, European leagues for the for the countries, um, but uh, to me, it seems like most most are allowing five subs. I'd love to get you guys' thoughts on you know how that is changing the game. I know obviously there's tradition behind the whole three substitutes notion, uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I don't know if you guys get a chance to play FIFA or career mode in FIFA. 
Uh, one of the biggest things is player morale. If the player is unhappy, they'll leave. Uh, and we see that happening in real life too, right? The game's pretty realistic in my opinion. But um, having the five substitute rule uh, allows every coach to kind of control that too. Uh, and allows the players to get more pitch time and and at the same time keeps everybody else who's playing you know on the starting squad every single time gets a little bit of rest every couple of games right um so i think overall it's all in all like beneficial i don't see one you know down point about it maybe you know having that many substitutes changes up the pace of the pace of the game um we know soccer to always be you know going up and down from a fast-paced game to maybe slowing it down a little bit. So having, you know, substitutes constantly come on and off might slow the game down a little bit. But, hey, it's all in a good cause, I think. Uh, and obviously moving those personnels around will, you know, show you different styles of football. Um, obviously, whatever the whatever the substitute skills are that they bring onto the pitch. But, um, again, like I said, all in all, I think it's a, it's a pretty good move. Uh, and it should be exciting to see how... Um, you know, different international squads switch up all those young players and pair them up with veteran players. Yeah, yeah, I see where you're coming from. To your point, I've I've heard that criticism before, you know, could have the chance of like slowing down the game, I think. Um, and I, I guess I didn't see it in this article, but I believe they'll probably keep the same rules where it's like, you know, you can do five substitutes in any number of like three stoppages. So you know, you can't just have like five individual substitutes. You'd have to do two, two, one, or some some uh, pattern like that. Um, but I see where you're coming from. I I also feel the same way as you. I'm I, and maybe this is because you know I'm a kind of new to soccer, right? I don't have the same like tradition mindset. But I'm thinking, you know, this is a whole heck of a lot of fun to see some of the best players, you know, come out. And then also see some of the young players to come in, see how that how that works out. I, I think it's been more exciting for me as a fan to see more faces in the game. Um, and yeah, like like KR, I'm kind of struggling to find some downsides here. I guess one possible downside could be that it benefits the bigger clubs because they have, you know, they have quality players at the, you know, on the bench in the first couple slots. So now not only does you know, a, a struggling club have to try to pick up, uh, you know, good teams for a whole 90 minutes. Now they get more subs. They have more quality on the bench. So it makes it maybe a little bit tougher for some of the smaller teams to, to really compete when, you know, Lewandowski can play. Of course, now not anymore. But Lewandowski can play every single game for Bayern and really not take a game off because they'll sub him out in the 70th minute at a couple of them, right? But it's it's complicated, but I, I think it's entertaining. I think it's good for the game. Vandy, your thoughts? I think it's good for the game, too. I mean, I'm all for tradition. Um, I feel like maybe a year or two from now we can return back to the three subs. Um, but as far as it goes for right now, I'm pretty fine with it. I'm one that favors young talent and letting young guys get a chance to show what they can do because oftentimes it's so hard to break into that to that mold or that role in a starting club when you're 19, 20 years old. But if you're a regular sub within the five that goes out there, then you'll, you'll get like 20 to 30 minutes to show what you can do and that can boost your morale as a player. It matters because – it, it, like I like I mentioned earlier, it's a, um, football is really a mentality-driven sport, like a lot of others. Where it's like, if you're not getting playing time, then even if you're skilled enough to play with the top guys, you the when you do get the playing time, you don't perform well, and because you don't perform well in that short interval of a 15 and 20 minutes, you may not see the field for our next five games. But if there's more subs to put out there, then maybe you get more opportunities um, to correct your mistakes, and I feel like. It it definitely helped the the young players more than anybody else. So I'm all for it. Yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. I think you know another reason that I'm I'm thinking they're sticking with this is just because the players are playing so many games. I mentioned, of course, Lewandowski getting injured in uh, in the Poland versus Andorra game. Uh, obviously, very disappointing for me as a Bayern fan. Uh, right now, it's looking like he'll be out for four weeks. Apparently, he wants to be back in two weeks, but I'm sure the team's going to play it play it pretty safe there. So, obviously, 
disappointing for me as a fan, but I, I know that he's not the only player who's been getting injured as, you know, it seems like for the top teams that are competing in Champions League, league games, and then have top, you know, the top players that are also competing in international games, you know, for the past couple couple months now, you're looking at, you know, two games a week for most weeks. And, you know, that really yeah. takes a toll. What's up? I said that's facts. Yeah, it's like if you think about um, football just compared to other sports, it's like they really don't have an off season. They don't have a two months where they can just chill at the crib with their family. It's always either international friendlies they got to get to, preseason tune-ups for the summer. It's like they never really have a break, you know. So you have to keep that in mind when it comes to these substitutions because it's like what time do they have to just sit, kick back and relax? Like they don't really have that much time, especially if you're playing for a good club and you're not in the ninth seed in the prem. If you're one of those top four teams you're either gonna, or top eight teams, you're either going to be in the Europa or you're going to be in the UCL. You're going to be doing that and you're going to be uh, playing on the, the global stage. Um, not Pulisic in U.S.'s case because he didn't get released from Chelsea. But you know what I'm trying to <laughs> you know exactly, what I'm trying to get. Exactly. Yeah, they call it international break, but you know when you got three games in a week, I know I wouldn't consider that too much of a break. Yeah, right. And you know, of course, the coaches are gonna run out their top players at least two of the games, probably three if they can. Maybe you'll run the same lineup three, um, basically three games in a row if you're Germany and and try to wear down your players. But we'll uh, we'll get to that a little bit later in the episode, but. Um, Basically, you know, these these guys, they're playing two games a week, and, and that's that's a lot. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I, I haven't been following quite as long as you guys, but two games a week, that that's a bunch. And, you know, they're, they've now, you know, the schedules are kind of messed up with COVID and everything, and training's been different. It's just tough. Yeah, usually I'd say uh, even during international break, they'd have – I would say at least four days to to kind of rest, get their legs fresh and, and go back out there. But now it's, you know, they're having a game every two to three days. Um, it's kind of like March Madness in college basketball, right? Like the teams are going out there. They're they're playing uh, every couple of days um, with the same starting lineups. Like, like you mentioned, the coaches are going to put out the best so that they don't get fired, especially in, you know, qualifiers or friendlies. You're, you're trying to make a point. Um, but, yeah, and it impacts any players who's, you know, at the top of their game, whether it be for the club or internationally, right? We Like you mentioned, Lewandowski was unfortunately now dealing with a um, knee ligament injury. And uh, that's, I'm sure Bayern's not happy about that, but um, he probably didn't have a choice in whether he wanted to play every game for Poland uh, in the World Cup qualifiers or not, right? Um, so... I guess in in a sense it comes down to I guess it's the power dynamic there is between the international teams and you know what's expected of the coaches and and the players that are going on international leave. But you know many say it's an honor to be selected into the international team. But in times like this, I'm sure some are happy not being selected and having to play you know two three matches in a span of seven to ten days. Yeah, certainly certainly could use the rest for your legs. Especially, you know, as we reach the end of of the competitions for a lot of league tournaments and the Champions League, these are games where, you know, Lewandowski, other players can't come back to their club and say, hey, you know, I'd like a game off. Well, no, too bad. Like, we're also at the top, at the end of the season, competing for a top spot, competing to not get relegated for some teams, or just, you know, obviously competing to finish out the season strong. So. Definitely a tough spot for the players to be put in. I hope that, you know, as we transition out of, you know, COVID times per se, that they can work in a little bit more uh, breaks for the players and and a little bit more just uh, time off in the logistics. All right. So next up here, we've got uh, a couple matches that we were thinking of talking about. A couple things that popped along uh my uh twitter feed uh we'll start uh over with serbia versus portugal that obviously a uh a pretty big um 
pretty big ending to that game. Uh, the game ended in a 2-2 draw, but right at the end of the game, I believe it was, let's see here, the 90... Uh, the 92nd, 93rd minute I'm getting here, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo gets played in a, uh, a beautiful shot, uh, a long ball into the box. Uh, Ronaldo takes touch past the keeper, puts it on goal. It appears to go in, but the shot is blocked. Uh, there's a big, big contention because... Uh, they're not using goal line technology for these matches. Um, I think from looking at the uh, looking at the highlights, looking at the replay, the ball did seem to cross the line barely, but it was close. And you know, referee, it's not an easy call to make when it's off by a couple inches. Uh, there's no ref standing right on top of the ball in the same way that it would be on the sideline. What's up, Chris? I was going to say, was did they go to the VAR? Sorry, I had like connection issues. I just got back on, so I'm a little out of the No, way. no, you, you're good, Chris. I was just going to they're they're not using uh, goal line technology or VAR. Oh, that's for, so dumb. Uh, these particular matches, I think one of the reasons is because some of the stadiums can't uh, use some of the offsides technology or some some logistical reason, and they're also just, I guess, some choice, I'm, I'm guessing, too. but. For whatever reason, not using VAR, not using goal line technology. This shot looked like a goal. I think it should have been a goal. Obviously, Portugal players are very mad. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo had had a couple headlines on him as you know, as a leader of the team. I believe you know after that he kind of threw his uh, armband. He was his captain's armband. Threw it down you know, walked off the pitch before the end of the match, earning himself a yellow card. So it's, it's, uh, he definitely got cautioned a little bit, showed, showed some rage, showed some, showed some anger as you would, you'd kind of expect him to at least feel in that position. But I know there's been some, some hot takes flying around on whether you think this is good leadership, bad leadership. If you think this is, you know, a sign of, Cristiano Ronaldo being washed up, or if you just think people are playing it a little bit out of proportion. I mean, to be completely honest, like I get where Cristiano is coming from, uh, but you have to show, you know, some level of class. Um, and listen, you're a player that many probably kids look up to. Many players that are playing alongside him are looking up to, and. Um, that sort of frustration obviously shows that he's human and not, you know, an Android or anything, but um, you know, it, it's all part of the game. Uh, I get that. It might, might've been like that one goal to obviously guarantee them um, on bigger cushion to make it into the world cup. But again, the other teams out there competing as well. You can't take any, any credit away from them. Uh, whether it was a goal or a great stop, it was all in a quick moment. I'm sure, you know, when you slow everything down, it looks a lot different. But, um, again, it's part of the game, but you just have to be, you know, more um, self-aware to make yourself, you know, be be in that moment to be the bigger man in, in one way or another. But uh, everybody slips up uh, sometimes, right? Uh, it's all part of the game, especially in sports. We always see things like this happen. So it uh, doesn't surprise me. but. It was uh, odd, nonetheless. What? Why are people not talking about that point-blank range missed by Bernardo Silva? How do you miss that? That has exactly. to be a goal. Ronaldo, exactly. it's just like, yeah, the pressure's on him. But Bernardo, that's supposed to be in the back of the net. It's supposed to be 3-2 right now. I couldn't it, agree more, Mandy. I was I was waiting to talk about this because <laughs> I, I was reading through the comments on Twitter. I was like, is anyone going to say anything? Is anyone? They're all like doing this about Ronaldo, this yeah. or that about if the ball went in. I'm like, Bernardo Silva, a class player, missed a like wide open shot just beyond the six and shot it right at the defender who was standing yeah. there. You know, we shouldn't even be talking about this because he really should have just finished that look. And it's, exactly. it's taking away all the press on that. <laughs> 
Right, that's supposed to be <laughs> smashing the back of the net. And then it's like, if you watch the clip, he shoots it, misses, and then he immediately turns and complains with Ronaldo to the ref. Like, no, Bernardo, turn back around and complain to your teammates why you didn't make that goal. Why did that not go in? It's just like, that's one of the the worst misses I've seen in a while. Harry Maguire's miss during uh, UEFA, that's still up there right now because he was like nine, like literally inches away from the goal and somehow it went over the, the the top of the post. But Bernardo, you have to make that, bro. Like, what? How? how why is nobody talking about that? Like, I guess VAR not being in this game sucks. Yeah, but they should have still won that game because Bernardo should have followed the rebound up with a goal. Exactly. Uh, and, and I also think that a lot of attention, fair or unfair, gets put on Ronaldo because he's of such a high profile. And to the fact that you know, outside of Euro twenty sixteen, um, you know. Portugal has not really gotten it done in international competition. It's kind of similar to Messi with Argentina. Uh, fair or unfair, he gets blamed when Argentina loses. Um, and, you know, I think Facts. him, Ronaldo, having that uh, that kind of a temper tantrum at the end of the game, like, you know, people are inclined to focus on that. Then, you know, Bernardo Silva, um, even though Bernardo Silva is probably just as at fault, really more. Um, so that's the frustrating thing. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah. For, for me, yeah. it's like how, <laughs> I mean, even the fact that it, like he was able to get that on target, I was like, wow, that's a tough angle. So much ball control fit that ball fizzing in like that. And you able to, uh, get it down one touch in, you know, on, on target and basically should have been a goal. That's, that's amazing. I know he missed, but man, that was some great control by Ronaldo. And another thing about him, it's no secret that he wears his emotions on his sleeve. It's just one of those things with that comes with his greatness. You just got to deal with it because Ronaldo, he's going to produce a majority of the time. So it's like, Ronaldo, we all know that he's not the best leader in the world. It's clear. Him and Messi are two different animals. Messi is the more composed, lead-by-example type of player, and Ronaldo is very expressive, very emotional when things don't go his way, and it's no secret to anybody. So the way he reacted was pretty much in line with his character for me. Yeah. I wanted to take this in a little different direction. Chris, you brought up, you know, how great players like Ronaldo, like Messi get, you know, some pressure on them when their international teams aren't doing quite as hot as, as they are at the, at the club level. And I guess my, my thoughts I'm having here is, is I'm thinking, you know, let's take Messi for instance, right? So we'll take, you know, Messi on Barcelona, Messi on Argentina. Would you say that, you know, some of the lack of performance, the lack of, uh, you know, domination, like in the same way that Messi has at, has had at Barcelona over the past decade, would you say that that's due to, you know, maybe just a step down in class where, you know, Barcelona in comparison to La Liga is better than Argentina in comparison to other international teams? Or is it just, you know, obviously there, there are other factors that could possibly explain some of the some of the lack of results, but do you think it's stepped down in class or is it, you know, some other reason? I mean, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to make that distinction, especially for, you know, a team who has such high expectations. Um, you know, we see a lot of times that, um, you know, like we said with Ronaldo just a moment ago, that if you're at such a high level position, you're put on, you're given a higher level of expectations. You can't do the same with um, the team, right? Uh, it's all part of the game where the lesser, I would say, the lesser, what's the right word to put it? Uh, I don't know. The more non consistent teams might sometimes have a better run than uh, the more you know highly expected consistent teams. So it's it's not, uh, you know, abnormal in one way or another, but um, it is sometimes like surprising. I think that's the right probably word that I would use for it. It's surprising, but it shouldn't be shocking to you. Uh, but again, I, who like you can't you can't always predict everything, or else you know I'd be a millionaire putting bets on everything. But maybe one day, maybe one day. Well. KR, you brought us right into our next topic here with unpredictability. If you were putting money on games, 
I don't know if you would have put money on North Macedonia to come through and upset Germany. I'm pretty sure there was like 20 plus 26 sun. I don't know how the betting works. So it was it was crazy odds from from what the headlines uh, said. Uh, Germany falling to North Macedonia earlier today. Uh, watch that game. Not not happy. Uh, definitely have some takes, but I'll, I'll let you guys get your thoughts first. Germany falls uh, two to one to Macedonia today. While we're on the subject of bad misses, Timo Werner did not do himself any favors in this match. Not at all. Not. I don't know all. how else to to say it. Like that was, like I watched that on my feed because I was working on a class project, so I was not able to watch this uh, masterpiece live. Um, but I, I was able to go back and watch uh, the highlights, and I don't know how you missed that. I I was so disappointed, not only because he missed it, you know, a key shot that would have helped them in the game, but also because I am a fan of Timo Werner. Timo Werner, I was hoping for him to do well at Chelsea. I know he's had a tough go at it. He seemed to be getting back to, to doing good things. I was frustrated that he didn't start any games over the past three uh, for Germany. He really only got about 40, maybe 50 minutes total. He was subbed on in every game, but didn't really get a ton of time. And I, I think he's a good player. I, I want him to be a good player. And and he had a chance to prove all the haters wrong today. And he just fluffed, fluffed the lefty shot, basically him versus the goalie on, on a good pass from Gundogan and it was it was disappointing. So that's that's definitely one one area of disappointment. I think Kai Havertz also didn't have that good of a game either. I, I'm I'm a little bit unconvinced of his quality, but I hope that you know some of it might be just getting used to playing on the international team and, and they can work through that. But for me, I think this was Lowe's fault mostly. Like yes, there the players always have some level of culpability but I think this was mostly Lowe's fault I mean after the game he's saying oh like we came out we played tired well guess what you ran out the same lineup three games in a row in a week like yeah you're gonna be a little tired basically you like other than he subbed out Neuer for this game and made a change at, at left back but that was basically it same middies same front three for all three games, and these guys are going to be tired. They're not not only playing for Germany; they're top class players for their club teams. And it's your responsibility to make sure we're not running out tired players onto the field. And I think we have the depth to do so. I think we have the depth to play guys like Timo Werner, guys like even like Musiala. There, there are players that can play that can rotate in and still play well. So I didn't like the lineup. You could have subbed also, out. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go, you go, Chris. I was going to say, if you are the German national team, you are one of the deepest, you have one of the deepest talent pools in all of world football. You are the man shaft, for God's sake. You should be able to swap out your whole 30-man roster and still beat North Macedonia. Like exactly. This is like, for all the grief that the U, we give the U.S. for losing to Honduras in that World Cup, in the World Cup, uh, Olympic qualifier, um, this is so the talent gap is so much greater in this matchup. I, yeah. I mean, are there any North Macedonian players that are like playing in? I, I can't they, think they of have, one. They have a couple guys. I know one of the guys was from Leeds. They had a couple guys in okay. uh, in the Italian league. So they had they had a couple guys playing in the top leagues, but certainly not enough to justify this loss. And yes, so. Definitely, definitely disappointing. But yeah, in in addition to the to the lineup here, I, I wasn't even done with my complaints yet, Chris. I'm going oh, I'm sorry. Crazy. I did not mean to cut you no, off. No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> you can totally interrupt. But I'm just. It's wild that I have to do this for so many different levels of our game today. And in addition to the lineup, I really didn't like the form, uh, the the formation. I. I said it. I've said it before on the podcast. I'll say it again. I really don't like a back three. I think it doesn't really make sense when you think about going forward because 
what you want your two center backs, you want two defenders back when you're going forward. How are you going to do that when you have three in your back line? It just doesn't make any sense. I don't know why after two successful games playing a back four, we switched to a back three and, and we looked terrible. And then just the game plan wise. So the game plan with the lineup, basically uh, we had a, had a left back playing as our left outside mid. So on the left side, we're looking at a left back and a left center back coming up the wing. So we're not going to attack on the left side. That leaves basically all of our attacking to Sané and Havertz combining on the right side of the pitch. And, you know, they, they couldn't get it done today. Maybe that's, uh, you know, a, a sign of, you know, they had a bad game. But I also think if that's your only option to move forward and you can't make any adjustments off that, I think that's a game plan issue as well. So uh, I'm definitely a little bit frustrated with Lowe after that past game. And, you know, maybe this is maybe this is a sign of, of Germany making the right move to, to start to let him go. I'll get off. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's not many uh, North Macedonian players playing at top clubs, but Elif Olamas, who's Elmas, who scored the winner. I think he's at Napoli, if I'm not mistaken. So um, maybe they saw something. But and then you had a 37 year old Panda to score the first goal in the game. So that's that's not a good look. Um, but one positive that I would say to come out of this, even though there really isn't much positivity to talk about if you're if you're Germany, that Deutschland should not lose this game. But one positive is what about the form of Ilke Gundogan? Like that that guy just keeps scoring goals. What is up with him this season, man? He's uh, this is one of his best seasons, um, you know, outside of those that he had um, in the Bundesliga. But man, he's playing really well right now and if you're Man City you have to be happy about that he has to be a regular in the starting 11 and on the international state he just keeps scoring goals man he's having a good season I mean I'll take my Ilkay Gundogan uh, uh, dubs where I can get them um, also a random thought I know this is kind of off topic but we were talking about how well Turkey's been playing just imagine if like all the German Turkish dual nationals played for Turkey like Gundogan going back to Mesut Ozil. Uh, I know there are a couple others that I'm blanking on at the moment, but I feel like there's a lot of those. And like Turkey could have been like a much better national team if they had those guys. I don't know. Just, just and they're, they're not bad. They're not, they're not bad as it is. They no, no, they're not some, some class out there for sure. Yeah. And they've had some talented players in the past. Like Arda Turan um, is the one that comes to mind the most, but Turkey, yeah, yeah. Turkey smashy. Turkish messy, yes. <laughs> and I say that as someone who's a fan of a country who Turkey's our biggest rival. So I'm not like pro Turkey by any stretch, but um, yeah, they're 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 a quality team. I'm sorry, I'll I'll, I'll get back to the uh, the German uh, national team thing. Is there anything else you wanted to vent about, Jacob? Or <laughs> I think I think I got my words out. I'll, I'll let you guys. I'll let you guys. Uh... Pour yeah. it on me. I was going to actually ask you a question, though, because, you know, we already knew that uh, Jurgen Love is not coming back um, as the uh, German national team manager after coaching him for, like, was that, 14 years? It's a long, that's really – even good international coaches do not last more than, like, four or five years. So the fact that he lasted 14, like, that's impressive. Um, but I guess who would be, like, your uh, – forgive me if we've talked about this before, but who would be, like, your favorite right now? Is it um, – the Bayern coach? Uh, yeah, so that – it's conflicting for me because I think I'm a Bayern fan bigger than I'm a Germany fan. Fair enough. And I really would like for us to keep Hansi Flick. I really would like that uh, very much. I, I wish um, – oh, now his name is slipping me. Uh, from Liverpool, what's the – what's his name? Damn. Liverpool, man. What's that? Jurgen Klopp. Klopp. Yeah, Jurgen Jurgen Klopp. That would be my dream. My dream would be to have Jurgen Klopp come and do it, but I think he he seems to be pretty tied up at uh, Liverpool from what the tabloids have been reporting. So I I think there's – to me right now, if those two guys seem to be off the table, there's no obvious choice. 
I just hope whoever it is that I hope they don't play a back, a back three. Fair enough. Um, that's that was basically my main question. If Vandy or K or have anything else they want to add? Uh, what young player are you excited about, or you think needs more minutes? I know an obvious answer for me, but I just want to see who, who what's a German young player that you think needs more minutes on the uh, national level. I I mean I think you know I'd say Havertz is someone I'm excited for. I would say, you know, I was a little disappointed by his performance in the past couple games, but I think he's still a good uh, young option. Uh, obviously, if we want to go a little younger, Musiala, obviously excited for him. He's real young, but he's shown some talent at, at both Bayern and, and got his first uh, minutes over the past international break. So those are two guys that I'm excited for personally. What do you think, Vandy? Yeah, Musawala has to be the guy. He's only like 17. It's disgusting. And I just – his ball handling is – is it doesn't match his age. It He he handles the ball as if he's 10 years older than what he is. So, yeah, he's going to be a problem. And Byron just keeps seeming to keep getting, getting these guys. Um, back to the German coach situation, though, because a little tidbit that I wanted to mention, you said you need someone who's going to come in with a back four. And I mentioned it on a previous podcast, too. It has to be Leipzig's Julian Nagelsmann, man. He plays a back four. He's coached, you know, he he know he's coached in the in Bundesliga, so he knows what German football needs to win, and he's German himself or Austrian, maybe. But um, yeah, Nagelsmann, plus, I think. Again, I was to say, plus that'll take a little bit away from RB Leipzig, who have been doing real real well recently. So that's <laughs> kind of like a double win right there. Yeah. Good to have a. Uh, they've never. They're one of the few countries who've never. Uh, yeah, I just confirmed he is German. But they're they're one of the few countries who've never had um, someone from a different nationality come and coach their national team. So if you want to keep it in tradition, I think Nagelsmann Nagelsmann could be the guy. I mean, I think, and, and I feel like I can add a little bit more perspective on this as a fan of a member of the Red Bull uh, family. Um, Red Bull Red flags Bull. every 10 minutes, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I can't help myself. Season starts in three weeks. But uh, no, but seriously, though, I'm, I'm, I'm being dead serious here. Uh, the Red the Red Bull like clubs have done a good job of putting together like a whole like brand around like playing this aggressive, high-press style of football. And they've gotten coaches that execute that really well. Um, like you see over at RB Leipzig, um, Jesse Marsh is doing a phenomenal job over at uh, Salzburg too. I'm not saying he should necessarily take over the German national team, but um, you know, like he's someone who's like a rising star in Europe and in, in, in coaching. Um, so like, it, I guess it depends Jacob on what you think the national team's play style should be. Like, do you want to see them evolve into that kind of like a high press, like more aggressive, style play i guess what 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 do you think their identity should be i love the high style press i really love it that's one of the things that makes watching byron so fun i'm thinking the 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 question is in my mind is do we have the defenders do we have you know quick enough defenders who can play that style i mean i think right now under low we we play i mean it's not like we're sitting back but it's not quite as aggressive as as Byron plays. It's kind of like um, building out of the back. Yeah, but I I I'd say. I mean, I'd I'd say Rudiger. I, I like him. I think he's quick enough. I I think I think uh, it's a good enough risk for us. I definitely think we have the talent in midfield and in in our front three to to play that style. But I mean, it would definitely be a change. Um, for some of some of the guys that are looking at like where we're thinking at like right back and left back, they're not quite as quick. But I mean, Bayern seems to make that work. Obviously, Davies very fast, but Pavard and Sula have played at that right back position decently. I, I wouldn't really characterize them as as necessarily quick. So I, I think it could be pulled off, and I I mean I would like to see them at least try. Yeah, I feel like that's the kind of thing where, like, if you're a national team where you have the talent, you have the skill and all that, but you're not getting results, I think a change in play style might help. 
Um, so, I mean, you know the team a lot better than I do uh, when it comes to German football. So I'm going to defer to you on that. But um, I, I, I find that that's usually what happens. It's like when Spain, uh, you know, they won the World Cup playing Tiki Taka. They won two Euros and then they kind of just fell off and they had to sort of reboot. And I think that might be where Germany is at now. I'm not saying they can't do anything in uh, Euros, although I don't know what their group looks like. Um, that'll be interesting. What does their group look like, Jacob? Do you know? Um, I can look it up if you Google don't. Google it right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know right now. The, I, I can pull it up because um, it's the same draw from last year. They just literally moved the dates in exactly a year. They, they expanded to that 2014 format. So I'm trying to see what they got here. So Germany is in group. Oh, they're in group F with Hungary. Uh, oh, oh, that's a bad group. They're with uh, France and Portugal and Hungary. Well, that's no fun. That's that's going to be tough. That's going to be well, tough. I mean, you could get it set up because there's 24 teams. You could get into the uh, knockout phase in third place if you like have good results. But it's it's that's going to be tough. Yeah. I'm not saying they can't do it, but that's not going to be easy. What is this for? Which group are you looking at? Group um, Group F. Is this for Euros? Uh, okay, Euros. Oh, because so for Olympics is a J. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, for the Euros, that's probably going to be probably the group to look at, uh, if I'm being completely honest, just because it's, again, young talent and veterans mixed together. So uh, Germany is probably going to be in first show. And if they're struggling with Group J in the qualifiers, going to be a rude awakening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. certainly. French is. The French team is really good. Um, maybe we stand a shot against Portugal, but yeah, France is France is they have some really good, really good talent. But you know, we'll have to see what happens here with the coaches. I'd love to see a back four. I'd love to see a high press, but you know, it's it's not my decision at the end of the day, and I'm gonna have to just live with it, no matter who they pick. And I think no matter what, I will be happy just with a little bit of change to try to spark something here. Well, I mean, Jacob, if you're looking for a change of career, I mean, you could probably give the DFB a call. I think they they take you into consideration. I'm learning. I'm learning German. I'm doing a. Oh, you are. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I, I'm getting better. I can say I can say a couple words, but I, I speak, think if I they speak German, what can if you they say? call me up, <laughs> if, they, if they call me up, then I, uh, I I definitely would have to do a lot more studying because right now I can maybe basically do like. Uh, you know, I can like order coffee or beer and and wasser, yeah, but yeah, that's about it. <laughs> All right, I mean, I tried doing Duolingo in Greek, and you know, that was a catastrophe, but you know, that's why I'm just <laughs> gonna have to learn a whole new alphabet, so yeah, that's definitely tougher. I just have to learn that double S, Len. Yeah, you might like guess in cada venotipata, you know, like that, that's just how it is. <laughs> okay. Sorry, yeah, okay. Okay, Chris, I see you. <laughs> That's like one of the four phrases I actually know how to say. So, yeah. All I know from, from watching the game today is, Vas estas! <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Chris, do you want to give us our video of the week here? Oh, I'd be happy to. Um, yeah, so let me get this up. This was from a uh, Premier League game. Um, oh, hang on. That was the wrong button. Um, so this is from a Premier League game. I saw this um, on Twitter while I was prepping the show, actually. Um, so this was Neil Mopé uh, for uh, Brighton. This was their first win of the year. Uh, if you guys can all see that. I know it's a little weird because it's off Twitter, but I'm just going to let the video speak for itself. That's cheeky right there. How nice was that finish? Hang on. Now oh, my thing just oh, started you, uh, playing it again. Um, so, <laughs> but how nice was that finish? Oh, beautiful with the left. I mean, I mean that was just a work of genius. And mm -hmm. and I, I think the hardest part of that goal, and the part that I think you know some people may not appreciate, is the keeper was closing in on him. Like that's a if you haven't played the game, you you don't, you don't really respect how difficult of a shot that is. Uh, to not just get on it and not have the keeper like get onto that and then just get it on target like that. 
that is hard. Like that is, that was a world-class finish and you know, Brian gets our first win of the calendar year. So good for them. That's, that's really nice looking. It's, it's obviously always tough to play things on a volley. Love that beautiful one, two, uh, pass. It's, that's, that's a great, great finish. You love to see plays like that where players can just control the ball so well off. I mean, in this case is a short flick, but you know, you see players out there take, you know, 40, 50 yard passes and just put them right down on their feet. And that's, that's beautiful because that's, that's certainly something that I cannot achieve with the soccer ball. <laughs> you know, they always make it look easier than it is, uh, especially, you know, at a pressuring moment like that. Um, you know, we've seen uh, goals from the last couple of year, or weeks when we saw those videos of, um, you know, that, free kick against uh portugal i believe it was uh and then we had the uh kevin de bruyne goal like all those they, they make always make it look so much easier than it is and um you know that mope goal it's probably up there especially just the quick thinking you have to do especially when the goalie's approaching you i feel like that's something a lot of people don't think about but in slow motion it looks a lot more easier than it is in real life so um Again, all hats off to him, and that was a beautiful display of skill, a beautiful goal, and those are the goals that kind of make or break the Premier League weekend for for many teams. So it was kind of cool to not for for that goal not to go towards you know one of those high high table teams. Yeah, certainly, it's tough when the keeper's approaching you. I even I even mess that one up sometimes in FIFA, so I can't even imagine how I would make the right decision in real life. <laughs> Well, that seems to have been our show for this evening. I want to thank you guys all for joining us. Any any closing thoughts from you guys? Go soccer, go football, whatever you're doing, whatever you're watching. We hope it's hope it's fun. And uh, we want to thank you for being with us this evening. Uh, again, this has been uh, Chris, Vandy, KR, myself, Jacob. And have a nice night, everybody.